0: It's good to see you, 9.30. Welcome. Glad you're here. Good morning. We are uh, in our series called Happy Is, and we've been looking at happiness and what it is and what it isn't, and um, I'm excited to jump into week two with you this morning. It's good to see you. I'm going to pray, then we're going to welcome Tremont online, and we'll get right into it if that's okay with you. You with me this morning? You here? Sounds so convincing. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this morning. It's a cold morning, but we're grateful for it. We're, we're thankful for the opportunity we have here to gather together and worship and just take a break from the pace of life, the, the busyness of life, the, the chaos of life. We get bombarded by so much every day, every week. And here we are just to cut some time out of the craziness and the routine to kind of lay our hearts here before you and say, we need you. We don't need me. <laughs> we don't need more of ourselves. What we need is just you to break through the distractions and the clutter and the chaos, to revive our hope, give us peace, even if we're walking through circumstances that don't really seem peaceful. We thank you that you promise, no matter what we're going through, no matter where we're from, no matter what things look like this morning, that you are with us. Would you remind us of that this morning? Would you encourage us with your word? Would you help make clear what you have to say to our hearts this morning? And if that means getting me out of the picture, then that's fine too. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome, 930. It's good to see you here. And those of you that are joining at Grace Tremont, welcome on this cold morning. I hear it's colder in Tremont than it is in Cresona, which we're going to celebrate a little bit (laughs) in this building. If you're not celebrating it up there, I totally get it. Uh, And welcome online. Those of you that are joining us online, we're so thankful that you jumped on here, and I hope this These moments you cut out of your normal schedule are uh, meaningful to you. And that God's speaking to you. We know he is not limited by time or location or freezing cold weather. (laughs) And uh, I hope you got some some coffee in your system. Not because you're going to need it. Maybe, maybe you'll need it. I don't know. Uh, we are jumping into message two in our series called Happy Is. And just to catch you up like a little bit in case you missed any of it. We don't want you to feel left out. You can always go back and re-listen to these messages at gracefreechurch.net slash talks. But uh, this series is a series that my father designed on what would become his deathbed. In August, he went to the hospital, and he was in the hospital for a couple months uh, dealing with pulmonary fibrosis, and the dude from his hospital bed wrote like 10 sermon series outlines for me. He was our connection care pastor, if you're new here, as well as my father, and had been the senior pastor here for a long time before he passed the baton to me from his hospital bed. With his lungs given up on him from pulmonary fibrosis, he wrote a series called Happy Is. That's some, that's some stuff right there. And it kind of starts with this whole idea that we got to get through our head about what happiness isn't. Happiness isn't a feeling that we chase. It's not just a feeling we chase. Happiness, the way the Bible talks about it, the way God talks about it, is a state you live in. It's, it's why the Hebrew word for blessed, in, in all of these passages we're talking about, in Psalm 1 that we talked about last week, that, that word blessed, it means happy is. Happy is. Now, last week we talked about happiness isn't a feeling, and this week I want to talk to you about happiness isn't a destination. I, I don't know if you think that happiness is a destination, like I have a sticker on my container of fly fishing gear smothered in stickers, right? Because it makes me look cool or whatever. (laughs) But I have one on there. It's my favorite sticker. It says, Maine is my happy place. But happiness isn't a destination. And Maine in winter is still definitely not my happy place. We grew up thinking like that, that Chuck E. Cheese is where happiness is to be found. You ever notice that? Like when you're kids... We associate happiness with a place. And then we start saying things like, when I get, I'll be happy. You ever do that? I still do it. I know happiness isn't found at Chuck E. Cheese anymore. (laughs) All that you can really find at Chuck E. Cheese is greased up with pizza grease, slides, and a ball pit that'll give you something way worse than any. Disease. I'm pretty sure if you just spent a week at Chuck E. Cheese, you'd be immune from every disease. I don't know what disease is going to come next, but the cure is found in the ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. We, we grow up thinking that happiness is a destination. When? I get it's a place it's something you need to arrive at when I get to the beach that I'm going to be happy when I do this that I'm going to be happy when I get a new man I'm going to be right is that too close to the chest when he finally gets his act together I'm going to we say when A lot. Because we grew up with this idea that we struggled to grow out of, and it's not true about happiness. See, happiness isn't just a feeling, and happiness is not a destination. And if it is a destination, when I catch myself saying, when I get, I'll be happy, man, when I catch myself, I have to take a moment and think. If happiness was a destination, then I'm going to spend a whole lot of time unhappy. And when I arrive at that destination, I'm going to be disappointed. When we start treating happiness like it's a place we need to get to or be, it's setting us up to failure. That's why, I don't want to bum you out with these statistics, but I got to share it. And uh, that's why, did you know that one out of 10 adults will attempt suicide in their lifetime? There's no, if you go to church, you don't count in those statistics. One in five Adults suffers from depression. That's not even, that's not even mentioning the smaller stuff. It doesn't feel small, right? Like the, the less dramatic stuff like dealing with the disappointment in a shattered relationship, like feeling like you don't have a purpose in life, like those long periods of frustration where it doesn't, and loneliness, where it doesn't feel like you're loved or cared for. It doesn't, doesn't take into account all of the stuff we face in the normal grind of life. Those statistics would say to us, man, you're not really happy. And I think part of it is because we think happiness is a destination, when really happiness is something for the journey. When you're a kid, you grow up and you think that happiness is Chuck E. Cheese or the beach or whatever. When you grow up and you have kids, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, you, you experience this in different ways. We all experience it. But as you have a little more perspective in life, a little bit different, you start to know that happiness isn't about just being at the beach because I can be at the beach and be miserable. I'm good at being miserable. I can flick on the cranky sw- switch. And sometimes I amaze myself because I'm like, wow, this is awesome, but I'm still cranky. I don't know how I can manage it. But when you're older, you realize that it's not as much of a place, even though we keep talking about it like it's a destination we're going to get to one day. It's more about the journey. It's who you're with. It's how you're living. It's what your walk through life looks like. It's the relationships you have on the way, both the good and the bad. it's It's a journey. Now, I know this is hard to imagine, right? That happiness is something for the journey. It's something that God says you experience on the journey. It's not a destination you get to. It's a state that you're in. Happiness is for the journey. I know this is so hard to understand because most of us, our journey just feels heavy. Hard, busy, exhausting. If you had to journal about your journey, the key words that would pop up are not like, I feel so light and free and wonderful. The things that consume our time are the anxious thoughts. The things that suck the life out of us are the heavy things. We look at our journey and we say, how can I experience happiness on the journey When my journey stinks so stinking bad. That's about as tough as a preacher can get with the language up here. (laughs) I get it. It's hard to imagine that happiness is something that we can all experience in every day of our life despite where we're located, despite what life looks like right now. It's hard to get it because when we look at our life, the thing that we feel, the things we think about is the, it's the heavy stuff. Is your life heavy? Busy, distracted, weighed down, tired? Exhausted? Does feel like you're groaning through life all day, every day? like you're wasting away, what a bummer. But what if there was a way, even if your journey has been a little heavy, for you to still be able to experience the Bible's version, the real version, the deep in your soul version of happiness? So you ready? Like my, my hope is, this is called Live in Light, that's what this message is called. I'm calling it Living and Light, and I want to start with by reading a Psalm to you, where David was experiencing some pretty heavy stuff too. Now they can't pinpoint exactly when this Psalm was written, but I got to tell you a few things about David before I just read this to you. David was the most famous king of Israel and probably the most successful king of Israel. He did all kinds of absolutely amazing things for the nation of God's. People. Not only that, but God favored David so much, he was like called a man after his own. Heart. David had this special kind of relationship with God and a lot of it is documented in the book of Psalms where he wrote songs and poems and all kinds of stuff that you'd never expect from a dude who was just as good with the sword as he was with a harp and a pen. You'd never expect it, but here in the book of Psalms, we have so many Psalms written by David. He's a hero of the Old Testament but you also should know he was an epic failure. <laughs> he did some terrible, terrible, terrible things. We're not gonna dress it up like it's Sunday school. David had some epic failures that cost him big time that hurt him and hurt others big time. David had screwed up epically. He had a dude killed after he slept with his wife. I don't wanna get into all of it. Just just say, like, your bad stuff probably... It's, it's on the B team compared to the A-level type of dumb decisions that David did. And yet, he still was a guy who God called after his own heart. He still was somebody that God used greatly and redeemed. Now, I say all that to just say that David probably wrote this psalm after some bad decisions. When he had screwed some things up and he was carrying the weight of it all it was it was dragging him down. Listen to this, it says blessed that 's that word. happy is that word means. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven now if you 're taking notes, you just grab a sharpie out and circle this on your phone don 't do that. it will be hard to get off like if you 're taking notes there 's some stuff to circle in here, like f- forgiven the, the key words are the beautiful words that describe are walking this blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the one whose sin the lord does not count against them and whose spirit is and who in whose spirit is no deceit now check this out transitions here to describe where the dude's his experience in life right now he says when i kept silent Why is it that we keep silent about the deeper stuff in life? Why is it that we shut down when it comes to talking about the most important stuff in life? Why is it when it comes to talking about the issues of our heart, that's what we have the biggest struggle talking about. The areas that we need to talk about the most are the areas we try to brush under the carpet and sweep away and not deal with. Why is it that the difficult stuff is the stuff that when we're dealing with it, when we feel the weight of it, that's when we're tempted to shut down and not talk to God and isolate ourselves from other people? Is it because we fear that if they really knew what was going on in our heart, we would be so vulnerable that that vulnerability isn't safe? For us, it doesn't feel safe for us. And so we shut down the thing we need most. When I kept silent. My guess is that you could relate to these next verses pretty well if you would approach your life with some honest self-reflection. When you kept silent. When I kept silent. I wonder if, I don't want to add to scripture, right, but I want to put some parentheses in here, like just some interpretation from my imagination, if you'll indulge me. When I kept silent about the mistakes I had made and tried to hide them away. When I kept silent about the pain I was feeling and tried to pretend it didn't exist. When I kept silent about the sins I had been indulging in and thought that I could hide them like my little precious, right? When I kept silent about what my day really looked like, what my thoughts really were about, when I kept silent about the anger that I had been holding on to, when I kept silent about the bitterness that I had held on to, the unforgiveness that I was holding on to, when I kept silent about all this. He writes this, when I kept silent, comma, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the summer in the heat of summer when i kept silent then verse 5 i acknowledged my sin to you sin that word that means missing the mark. God's in ideal for us. When I, when I acknowledged my sin to you, when I acknowledged that I'm not perfect, that I've made some big mistakes, that I missed the mark, when I was honest about my life and my heart and my thoughts and my actions, when I finally agreed with you, God, and did not cover up my iniquity, and stopped trying to hide. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me of my guilt and my sin. Before I get to the end of the chapter, which is going to bust three things out here that I think really important for us to grab onto, David describes going from wasting away, groaning, heavy, exhausted, strength, sapped from his life. He describes getting from that space to a space where the words he uses to describe his life are forgiven, covered, and it's not counted against me. I don't know what heaviness you've been carrying, what extra weight, but I know that the longer you carry any weight, It doesn't just go away. The the longer, unless somebody pokes a hole in the jug of water that you've been carrying, it gets heavier the longer you carry it. When when you're like walking through life burdened, it doesn't just disappear and and you become free just because, you know. The longer you carry something, even if the road is flat, even if it's downhill, even if life smooths out, the longer you carry something heavy, the heavier it gets. David says, I went from that place to a new place. And I don't know what life looks like for you. But, but I want to say, if you've been carrying the heaviness, the guilt, the shame, some of it may be inflicted by others. A lot of it is self-inflicted by us missing the mark and sitting. If you've been carrying the, the burden of guilt and shame, if you have some embarrassing stuff that you've been running through your head or your heart, if life has been heavy and you've been trying to do it on your own, if you're worn out from playing the God of your own life, if things aren't going well for you and you can't seem to put your finger on it, maybe it's time to just unburden and live lighter because of what God can do for you. David says the transition from that heavy journey to those beautiful words of blessed, happy is, happy are those who are free, happy are those whose sins aren't counted against them, happy are the forgiven, happy are those who aren't carrying that burden. The difference was what God did when he just started to live honestly. He stopped trying to hide when he just laid it all out in front of God. And what happened was something incredible. God didn't smite him. <laughs> I don't know, is that what we think's gonna happen? Is that what we think's gonna happen? Is that why we don't talk to God when we got a bunch of junk going on in our life? Is that why in the midst of our failure he's probably the last option? Is that why we'll hit people up in the DMs on Instagram before we talk to him? I don't know, do we think that he's just waiting to smote us As if he didn't know already what we were doing, right? Like, I gotta tell you, you can delete the history on your browser, but God still knows what you've been looking at on the internet. Is that too close to the chest? He still, he he knows it all. And he still loves you. He's not waiting to smote you. It's not some like, None walking around Catholic school with a ruler waiting to smack you upside the head with it when you finally admit that you cheated on your homework? That's not. <laughs> He's very concerned about the weight that you have been carrying. Sin is a big deal to God. He knows what he has intended for you. And it's way better better and we're carrying around this heavy stuff unwilling to just open up and agree with God about it because we don't trust his character because we don't understand his heart for us because we forget that he knows it all and loves you anyway he knew it all before he sent his son to a cross To pay the price for all the times we miss the mark. To bear our sufferings. The self-inflicted ones and the ones that we suffer at the hands of others when they miss the mark too. He knew it all. And yet he demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You see, that word should lose some of its power in your life. That word, sinners, it should just be a reminder of grace. That's it. It shouldn't be something that buries you in shame. It cuts your knees off in the journey. It should be a reminder that, hey, yeah, guess what? I'm not good at being God of my own life and I am in desperate need of God's grace, which he freely gives to us. In Galatians 5, chapter one, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you go down that, that a little bit further, I have my bookmarks in here, but I was not prepared to flip. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you go down there a little bit further, it says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I tell you that those words were written to a bunch of people who in response to their own sinfulness decided that they were going to embrace religion and work really hard to unburden themselves of the guilt and the shame. They were saying like, I don't want to, I can't live with this heavy burden. I can work it off. (laughs) That works about as good as me walking by the treadmill and wondering why I didn't lose weight. (laughs) Religion is our attempt to deal with the heaviness ourselves. And Christ didn't come to give you religion, He came to give you freedom. He offers you that freedom through the cross. And his resurrection. It's the only way to get it. But that's okay because it's free. And it's for you. No matter who you think you are or what you think you've done. You know, at the end of this passage, which I didn't read to you, I think there's three things that just blow me away. And I want you to pay attention or, or jot these three things down. I think they're so powerful. And I call these three things the cure to living on heavy. The end of the chapter says this. It says, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. This is his instruction after realizing that he went from that really dark place to a really freeing place. When he realized that he could take the worst of what he had done, laid it out before God, and that God would offer him grace in place of his junk. He says this, he says, therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Somebody needs to circle that because you feel like the rising waters are gonna drown you out this week. The rising waters of your life. In verse seven he says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit. End up a, a bridal. My wife is going to kill me. She loves horses. I don't know how to say that word. So I should know better about that one. Bridle, bridle. That's anybody... Super disappointed in myself right now. (laughs) It's fair if you're disappointed in me too. (laughs) Many are the woes of the wicked. But, listen, the, the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. There's a couple things here, three of them to be exact. And the first one is open it up, your heart. Open it up. David's instruction to us from this place he was in is like, stop hiding your heart. Most importantly, stop hiding your heart From God, When I was silent, things got worse. When I was silent, things just got heavier. When I was silent, I almost couldn't take it anymore. Life was choking me out. My own sinfulness was suffocating. I was buried in the guilt and shame of my choices. I wasn't going to make it when I was silent. But then I opened my mouth and I found forgiveness and grace. No matter what I had done, no matter how dark it had gotten, no matter how things had looked, there was hope. To be found simply in opening it up to God. Open your heart up to him. I know it's scary. I know it feels vulnerable. That makes us want to pull it back. And sometimes the biggest thing we can do is break through that fear and just lay it out there. His, His instruction to us is just open it up. The water's rising the water of life is always rising, but if you pray, if you live with your heart open to God, the water will rise, but it won't reach you. It won't overtake you. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, in this world you will have trouble, but you can take heart, for I have overcome the world. It's time some of us start to take our hearts back from all the fear and all the shame and all the guilt, and we start to say, here it is, God. I want to take my heart and give it to you, the overcomer. The second thing he drops on him is this. I'm gonna hide in you. Hide there. You don't have to hide anything from God. You should hide in God. Now this is huge, right? One of the greatest needs we have is a need to feel safe. And here in this passage, it's like David is saying the safest place for your soul is God. Don't think the opposite, He knows exactly what your heart needs. He knows exactly how to handle you. He will be gentle. He will be loving. And he will move you from there to free. Hide here. We're, we we want to feel safe. It's like our a basic fundamental need. And when we don't feel safe, we, we, we shut off. We, we shut down. David makes a decision that instead of hiding from God, he's going to hide in him. You don't have to hide from God anymore. He knows everything. He offers you his love. You can hide in him. And I think that all starts to really click in by this last part. Many are the woes of the wicked. David knew this. He out-sinned probably everybody in this room. He was notorious in the devastation he called with, caused with some of his decisions It was complex. He's a complex guy and he writes this. He writes, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds them. He understood the many more equation of God. Many are your failures. Many are your mistakes. Many are your sins. Many are your bad attitudes. Many are your grumbling spirit. Many is the devastation that we've felt and caused to others. Many, 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 many heavy things Many exhausting things, many worn out things, but more is God's love. His grace doesn't just tip the scale in your favor, it destroys the whole thing. His grace is what allows us to live light. Blessed are those, if you could summarize this whole passage who are found and who are living in the unfailing love of God and the grace he wants to smother us in. I don't know what your life looks like if you've been walking around burdened, heavy, worn out. If you've been dealing with the consequences of some of your decisions or the consequences of somebody else's decisions, if you've made a whole mess of it, the grace is still there waiting for you to step into it. It's free, it comes by Jesus' his work on the cross and the empty tomb for us and all that matters as it says in Galatians 5, 6. All that matters is faith. Have you placed your faith in him, lived out in love? And are you loving God and others? Those are the only questions that matter. Would you live your life with your heart wide open for God this week? Would you hide in him instead of hiding from him? And may you realize that no matter what damage you've been living through or causing yourself, God's love is always greater. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. It's good to be reminded of your grace. We need it. I just, you know, I don't know who this hits. But I just pray that you would use this word in my heart, in our hearts, to help us to learn, like, Happiness is not a destination, it's it's a part of the journey, and the most important part of that journey is just living unheavy, living light in the freedom of your grace. Help us to live in that, to stay in that space where we know we don't have to hide from you, we can hide in you. In Jesus' name, amen.